Are we rolling? <laughs> we are rolling, Tom. Okay, good. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming out today. Thank you for having me. So it's been a couple of years since I've seen you. What's been going on at the Institution Theater lately? I, I see you've maybe had a little trouble with the city. It's been very strange. Um, what happened was we're you know we have we have we're in two buildings, right? And uh, we have we have a space in a warehouse that we call the theater. It's a theater space, and then we have another uh, a separate building that we use. Uh, it's a standalone steel building that we call the clubhouse. And what happened was. Uh, this is kind of a long story. You sure you want to hear it? Give me the broad strokes. How about All right. that? Someone came to one of the businesses in the warehouse, complained that there wasn't uh, uh, handicapped parking, and complained to the city. city sent someone out, uh, sent a letter to the owner saying, you need to, up, uh, you need to become ADA compliant. Uh, the plans they submitted to the city, um, we had to leave in order to make the parking spaces work or we were told we had to leave. Um, I asked if we asked the owner if we could still um, teach classes in the theater space and um, went and he said fine as long as it didn't affect the parking. Went and checked with the development department um, to see what could happen and we could um, legitimately lease out a third of this or half the space and have classes and uh and then maintain and it wouldn't affect parking and um uh and this is after we moved everything out uh then i was told that there was going to be another business that was going to boom in that needed the extra space that we were going to use so i was i just told the person i was subleasing from you know i'm done with the warehouse space i, I and uh then i was uh told that okay what we're going to do they really wanted us to stay there what we're going to do is it's going to be sort of a don't ask, don't tell policy. So I had to move everything back. <laughs> oh man! And uh, yeah, I was I was mad that day. And now the last thing that happens is the building. All the buildings are up for sale, and I'm on a month to month in the warehouse, and I have a lease until the end of July at the clubhouse. But I also have an. Uh, I'm not sure how this affects my option for two more years on the clubhouse, especially since. I um, checked the lease on the clubhouse uh, and uh, just to see what my, I thought maybe I could get some move away money, you know, and, uh, and what I realized is I'd been un underpaying rent for the past two years. <laughs> and, um, and the owner also checked the lease and neither one of us, you know, it's, it's been a, a casual relationship. Right. And, uh, and the the uh, the gentleman, our my, my landlord, his parents own the building, and he kind of manage he manages it for them. And but it's the building has all all the buildings have been in the family since the early '60s. Oh wow! And so it's he's he's a, a lawyer with his own thing going on. So as long as the rent's paid, and and also we get a we get a very good deal on the rent. Right. But he didn't notice, and luckily he didn't think I was trying to pull a fast one. We just and uh, we we're both very apologetic, and. Um, and I was kind of torn this last time I had to pay rent because I knew what I was supposed to pay. And it was it was just a difference of $160. $160. So it wasn't a huge amount. But I knew this last time I, when I paid the rent for May, I knew I was underpaying. When I paid it for April, I really I wasn't aware of it. So uh, so this in May, I was legitimately stealing from him. <laughs> and, and so my... Uh, 
my A program kind of kicked in like, oh no, this is, and then like the next day I got an email from him or a few days later, I got an email from him saying, hey, I noticed this, it's my fault. I should have been on top of it. Pay the $160 for this month and pay the regular, the amount you're supposed to be paying for the rest of the, you know, term. So he was really cool. When I, he was at the building the next day and I handed him a check and he was taking care of some other stuff. And I said, I'm really sorry. Uh, he said, no, it was all my fault. I said, well, I feel like an idiot. He said, imagine how I feel. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just, that, but I don't think I can now go, well, since we have to move, can I get some three to $4,000? Because I've been getting that over the uh, past couple of years. Right. So. So long. So you're looking for a new space right now or what's, what's well, that situation like? I, well, I forgot the last conversation. I, I am kind of looking for a new space. My plan right now is to keep the classes going. So ideally what I'd like to have is uh, get a, a, a 1,700 to 2,000 square foot space that I could put three good sized studios in and keep the classes going and also have a place where I can rehearse shows and do three to four shows a year but not have a theater space that I'm responsible for. Gotcha, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Because I was worried because you know, just off the top of my, I mean, what you're doing there is great. I really enjoy oh, thank you. my time there uh-huh. taking the sketch comedy classes. And I know you've kind of dis- moved away from that direction, but man, I really loved it. Oh, good. And thank you very so, much. Just so you know, what you're doing is great. Oh, it's appreciated. Um, and it means a lot. So yeah, I just want to, I want to cut back a bit because the, there's something I've, I've learned, uh, in running the, and we've been there six years. And so the worst thing that that can happen is it's been a great six years. That's right. the worst thing that happened. Um, and, uh, but one of the things I learned by listening to podcasts and, and reading books on business, there's something called the 80, 20 rule, like 80% of your income comes from 20% of your clients, that sort of thing. And when it comes to the theater, the 80, 20 rule is 80% of my time was spent on the theater, which brings in 20% of the income. Right. And sometimes it's just, it's just a lot to take care of. And um, my girlfriend and I just bought a house, and I'm enjoying being an old fuddy-duddy. <laughs> I'm going to bed at 10 now. Oh, wow. It's weird. It's really <laughs> weird. But I noticed today, I feel very rested. There you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Who would have thought? I know. I went to bed at 10 on Friday. On Friday! <laughs> well, um, so I, I need to come back, actually. And come back. I've been, wanting, I've been wanting to do improv, and mm-hmm. it's just then, you know, it's like I've got this little dog here that I try uh-huh. to take care of, but Bring so him. I feel kind of guilty, <laughs> right? Bring him! I feel guilty leaving him because I work, you know, I work pretty long shifts that I work kind of an odd schedule. This so. is what I suggest you do. Bring okay. the dog, put the cage in the car in case you need it. There, you right. know, there's places you can, no one's going to, see, the institution theater. <laughs> oh no, you can't do that here. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, bring him. I understand, yeah, feeling guilty, but. Bring him. He might have fun. Right. Does he bite? He doesn't. Because you kind of kept him away from me because I keep my dog away from people. Uh, Not saying he bites, okay? Because that would <laughs> might come back in court. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've learned to keep my dog uh, separate. And everybody's happy. And no one bleeds. Not that he bites. I'm not ad- uh, admitting. <laughs> Inaudible. Right? And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, are, are, <laughs> mouth words and head nods admitted right. in court <laughs> admissible I hope not I plead the fifth okay good 
So, Tom, you've kind of moved on from the sketch comedy more towards like kind of a create your own film and Mm -hmm. work on that project. How's that been going? Because I know I kind of had to drop out on you Uh during that time. I I got a new job and it was just like too overwhelming. There's no way I could really like produce my film. There was just no way I was going to squeeze it in. So what's been happening is uh, the, um, you know, it was just getting harder and harder to feel fill the sketch classes. And so I never as any business, um, and I think especially for the theater, uh, like I've always looked at the theater as our job is to serve Austin. And if we're putting up shows where people don't come, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people in this town get it backwards and just like, well, I want to do this on, on stage. And so now we have to, so people should come. Well, no, no, you need to do something people that adds value to their, to their lives. And if they're not coming, that might be so. And it's it's fine. You, you're more than welcome to do what you want. But it might be better for everybody if you just did it in your living room. Um, and as far as it was just getting harder to fill a sketch classes, so there just wasn't much demand. Gotcha. And um, and I really enjoyed, I really enjoy helping people make films. And the with the technology today, it's um, so easy to make a film. I mean, you can just make one with with your phone. Right. And. Uh, and that and it can look great, uh, and so it's and that's as you know the whole course is about taking what you have and writing from that because um, and the people that have not made their films are the ones that um, have uh, written for something they don't have or it's too complicated and it's just for the, especially for this class just keep it simple right. and the goal is just to finish a film so and it's it's just been more fun because uh, we when we did fill up the class, people would show up and they'd be um, anxious to write, but writing can be a grind and it's not nearly as much fun as, uh, as improv class. Right. Improv class, you just show up and you laugh. Um, Writing, you'll show up and you laugh if you write, but then you've got the other six days that you're supposed to be writing unless you're really disciplined and committed where film also group, uh, group activity. And we'll start with the script, but uh, but we'll work on, you know, we'll we'll uh, sort of develop your script as a group. So instead of just all the voices in your head, you also have the voices in the room. And then when you get into production, it's it's you know it's a team effort, and it's it's just more fun doing things with other people. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And I think it's hard to find, you know, you, we can't afford to pay anyone. So it's like <laughs> yeah. crewing your film or finding actors. It's like always a mad dash. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that work, the so. first thing we yeah talk about in the make your movie now class is uh, what do you have available and who, and then one of the things we, we fill out worksheets each week. And one of them is who would be excited to work on your film. Not who would be doing you a favor, <laughs> but right. who would be excited. And, and we, Austin is such a great town, and Austin has so much talent. Um, and yes, you can't pay them, but you can help them out on their project. I was helping uh, Orf. I don't know if you know Chris Orf, or he goes by Orf. He makes Orf beer. And he, uh, he's been talking about this for a long time. He's been brewing beer um, as long as I've been here in 10 years. He's a was a chemist, college chemistry teacher who loved beer. So he started brewing his own beer, and he was brewing it at home. And he provides uh, Orf beer for the Out of Bounds uh, Comedy Festival every year. And this weekend, he uh, was his grand opening. He has a, a brew pub and or just a larger warehouse. And uh, I saw he needed people, and he showed up 
to help out when we were building the stage. And, uh, and he, he helped out a lot cause he had a lot of construction knowledge and I would never been able to pay him back cause it was, there was always something in the way. And, and then I'm, and I was able to show up and I, um, because of the institution theater, I knew how to run the square on the iPad and, <laughs> and that's what and he just signed up for it that morning. I was like, okay, I got the go away. I got this. Nice. And, uh, but it, it's and it's so great to pay people back, you know. When when you ask people to help, you give them the opportunity to help, and that, and you give them the opportunity to feel good. And a lot of times, it's really easy to feel guilty or think they don't want to help. And and uh, but there's a the responsibility there. You need to, again, add value to the life and make sure that you're organized. So asking someone to help in in a way helps you. Right. It's weird. I'm I'm an old man. Just. <laughs> It's, yeah, but it's true. You give some, you know, you asking someone to help is get, giving someone an opportunity to feel good. Now, Tom, I recall that during the sketch classes, your notes were always just like on point. Like really? Obvious. Yes. Uh huh. Just great. So I'm kind of curious. Had you thought about ever doing like a web kind of sketch show? Because I feel like with like if I'd I like was to... in a writer's room with you, like uh-huh. even just the two of us, and I'm sure uh-huh. there's been much more talented people than me come through mm-hmm. the theater that you know i would you love could, to do something like you that. could definitely i mean put I would, something on i would love to do some sort of web series uh, maybe take fuck it's hot do something or i was until recently i was living with the when i uh two years ago when i was 50 52 51 uh i moved in with the 25 year old guy <laughs> and we kept oh wow we kept it was it was it turned out great but we we're it was certainly not what i planned on doing <laughs> and uh uh we kept talking about doing a web series called old man roommate oh that would be i like that premise because he was a social media it still is a social media strategist and i was like okay what is your job again and it wasn't he uh it's a social media strategist for the HR department of a large company so it wasn't just like buy our stuff it was right. trying to attract Top level college graduates are soon to be college. So it was just, I did not understand. I did, still don't. <laughs> but uh, um, I would love to do something like that. Uh, I also own, I have, I've collected about 50 uh, URLs. <laughs> nice. Uh, one is, then this one, and I should do it, it'd be so easy. It's called daddy, daddy really com, And the intent, Boy, it was a long time. the The person who showed me how to register a domain name on uh, Namecheap.com has since graduated from college, moved from Austin to LA, um, worked at LA for a number of years, and, and then gone on to do a season on SNL. And uh, she's uh, on—I don't know if she's on the second season, but was on the first season of Masters of None. Um, Noel Wells. So that's how long I've owned uh, DaddyReallyDoesLoveYou.com. And what that was going to be was just a series of short, like, 30-second films of me um, just sort of like, hey, you did great on your, your test today. I just want to just, <laughs> you know what? I just want you to know that Daddy really does love you. Keep it up, <laughs> Just like these 30-second nice. clips yeah. for when someone with, I guess, daddy issues is feeling down. I don't know, but it also maybe I'll turn it on to, into a porn site. <laughs> there you go. Either way, but yeah, and I just got uh, the aromadillo dot com and aroma, the aromadillo aromadillo and the aromadillo and the aromadillo worldwide headquarters. 
because my girlfriend and I just moved into a house. We bought a house in uh, uh, East Austin, just a little bit east of Mueller. Okay, cool. And the, the neighborhood's changing, and we're like, this, this needs a coffee shop. So we want to, we are toying with the idea of opening up a coffee shop and calling it the Aromadello. My mom lived over in that area. She lived off of East 51st way back, like in the 90s. So oh, really? I'm sure it's, it's changed a lot, mm-hmm. to be sure. It's, yeah, and it's, yeah when, uh, when I leave to walk our dogs every morning, I say, let's show them what gentrification looks like. <laughs> And it's and I just got a gentrification report. What did she saw two people walking in in our neighborhood dressed ironically? So it's changing. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, a few days ago, I got a report that I was I was losing the gentrification award because there was someone um, walking their dog on rollerblades, and so they were beating me. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know. But it's 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 great. We got a. Uh, I've got a house in the big backyard. Yesterday I was trying to build a shed, which is just a huge lesson in humility. Right. Even though it's from a kit. Seriously, <laughs> I've I've worked on one of those little aluminum sheds before. Yeah. <laughs> so I can definitely relate. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I just take him a time. <laughs> All right. Well, it'll get done when it gets done. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Master of None. I'm, uh-huh. I've actually been... I, the second season. Have you seen the second season? I just started watching it like today when I should have been working. <laughs> it's been pretty good. There's, oh, damn, I don't want to spoil it. Is Noel back in it? Uh, in it? I don't. I, okay. I don't. I wouldn't recognize him. That I no, the uh, the girl, the girlfriend from the year before. I don't from think the season. So. I've, okay. My roommate's been watching it, so I've caught brief glimpses here and there. But I sat down. There was one where he's like going on all these dates, and it was just like so. He just. Nailed it really? so perfectly. It was almost like I like couldn't watch because this was my similar experience <laughs> with these dating apps and stuff. It's just like you go to the same place over and over, and it's like well, I can't just wait to watch it. Conversations, yeah. I, I just started. I've seen like the first five minutes. It's so, just so su- we, super cringeworthy for me, especially. Well, I can't wait to watch it. But yeah, I, definitely let me know if you want to get a uh, little sketch thing going. Yo, you, I've, you bet. I have always wanted like you don't that's, want to be the I've, group. Yeah, I've always wanted to. SNL was like my dream mm-hmm. growing up as a kid. I don't know if I'm I'd be make a good stand up, but I always felt like sketch was where I could really kind of like riff with other, especially being on a team of other writers or. You What's know. your dream? I've always, I mean, film, TV, mm-hmm. entertainment. But well, how be more specific? <clears throat> so I mean, mine was SNL. More so. Dir- more so directing mm-hmm. my, own, my own movies and whatnot, but I definitely SNL and that type of comedy has been always something that I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Just have been a big fan of that and just haven't had the, the avenues or the outlet for it. Um, Are you doing this? Yeah, I just started this a couple of weeks ago and just kind of scratched that creative itch because I really hadn't done anything in about a decade, to be honest, other than, you know, I wrote some sketches. Mm-hmm. For the class and whatnot, and I've done a few things like that, but that's it. I hadn't produced anything, so I was like, man, I've got to do something. Yes. I have to do something. So I started this, which has been a lot of fun so far. Great. And really exciting. So that's yeah, that's I mean it's it's just great. It's it's so great to get to a point and um where it's I'm I'm gonna put this out here, out there, and we'll see what happens. And I'm gonna try and I'm gonna do the best that I can at it, right. and we'll see where where it goes. Uh, there's such a 
a freedom to that, you know, just being in the moment and, and, uh, and just let's, let's see what happens. You know, it was like when you would show up to class with, as long as you had something, we, as a group, we made it work, you know, or helped get it on the path because there are, you know, there, uh, I read this somewhere that, uh, Sketches aren't good or bad. They're sketches that work and sketches that don't work yet. <laughs> you know, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and uh, and then also I, I like another phrase I like is uh, the secret is in the setup. So if it's not working, it's sort of like I've heard it described as uh, if something's not working, whether it's a feature script or a sketch, um, it's kind of like when you're walking in the woods and you realize you're lost. If you're not lost at the point that you realize it, you got lost before. Does that make sense? So if, the, if you're writing a sketch or a feature and there's something that's not working, it's not that point. It's the information that has gotten you there. Right. You know, another uh, good one is uh, the end is in the beginning because endings are hard. <laughs> like, ah, the, oh, what's the beginning? Let's see. So I, I bookend a lot of my sketches <laughs> I definitely feel like you're definitely onto something. It's like you don't don't worry about the quality of it. Uh-huh. Just just do something and get it out there, and that's how you you know you just have to keep on doing it and doing it and doing it, and eventually you you get good. Yes, and the secret is is uh, authenticity. Authenticity, like you have to be honest. If if you uh, are pretending to be somebody you don't, you aren't. People will smell that. It's like in an improv scene. You can tell if if you. Sometimes people will change during a scene. They'll change something because they think that's the way the scene should go, even though it's going against the honesty, integrity, and evidence that they've already presented. And it, and I think that pulls the audience back a little. It may not be a conscious choice, conscious, but it pulls them back because they're not going to trust. And so, so this, if you try and be something you're not, people will smell that. Very true. You know? Yeah. So, Tom... Let's, let's what let's <laughs> let's back up a little bit okay and we'll uh are we lost no okay we'll just uh we'll kind of want to back up because i was reading a little bit about your background yes and you were the the math was the mascot for, for the, OU, yeah. the uh-huh. sooners mm-hmm. i was the mascot for the university of oklahoma basketball team from 1984 to 1986 and that is where it all started uh i had a roommate in college who uh, uh, I, we d- were just assigned to each other, and he was from Chicago, and I'd never been to Chicago, but he told me about this place called Second City, and they had comedy classes, and he would tell me all about that, and and uh, and he went to high school with uh, Bill Murray's brother. Um, Which one? Joel. Okay. And uh, yeah, but he didn't call him Joel; he called him Bill Murray's brother, <laughs> and um, and. Uh, uh, so when I graduated, I had a degree in journalism, or actually, in all honesty, I didn't really. I thought I had a degree in journalism, but I was three hours short, and I should have graduated in 86, and because I used to drink and do drugs a lot, <laughs> uh, it took me eight years to get that one, those three hours of credit. So I went in in 82, and I got my degree in 1994. I got sober in 1993, which is weird. Anyway, uh, so... I heard about um, Second City, and so I called up uh, Second City and said, hi, I want to take improv classes. 
I said, well, do you have any improv experience? Nope, but I was a mascot for University of Oklahoma. And they said, well, there's this place called Players Workshop of Second City, uh, which I, Second City Prep, sort of. And so I, I flew in, I moved to Chicago in August of 86. I flew in on a Tuesday and started my classes on a Wednesday. And um, I remember sit, sitting in the, the class and there were, there were 12 students all together. And I just remember thinking, I'm in a, in a room full of people just like me. And I instantly had 11 best friends and it was great. And it was a really good time to be in Chicago. Uh, I went to Players Workshop of Second City. I went to the Second City Conservatory, which just kind of uh, just started. A guy named Martin DeMott was getting getting it all together. And uh, and then also while I was studying at Second City, I also studied with what was then called Improv Olympic, but now it's called IO. And uh, at the time, Sharna, who runs IO, uh, was kept getting... Uh, the International Olympic Committee <laughs> kept threatening to sue her. And what it was is they really weren't upset. I mean, the, the way a copyright works, if anybody infringes upon your copyright, you have to defend it. Um, otherwise, someone else can come along and say, well, you can't just pick and choose who, who you... And at the time, um, there was something called the Gay Olympics, and the International Olympic Committee did not like the idea of the Gay Olympics, which later went on to be called the Gay Games. Uh, but once Gay Olympics turned into Gay Games, the pressure got off Sharna a bit. Uh, but uh, but Del Close was teaching, and I happened to so I got to study with Del Close for a number of years, and I got in a, with a group of people, and we became a house team for Improv Olympic because we were performing every weekend. Also got uh, a guy named Mick Napier was my first improv teacher at Second City, and uh, and I understudied a show that Mick was directing called uh, Splatter Theater 2, and I was understudies with a guy named Dave Rosowski and another guy named Tim Meadows, and right as we were about to go on, as the show was about to start, they got hired by Second City, so I ended up getting the lead in Splatter Theater 2, and, and um, that did well, but Mick lost a lot of money and um, decided uh, he closed that show but still wanted to keep it going. And he uh, wanted to put together a improvised show, which was a musical about women in prison uh, in which a fully-dressed circus clown fought a drag queen, and he wanted to call it Co-Ed Prison Sluts the Musical. And so I was asked to, join, to be part of that cast, and <laughs> we developed it through improvisation. And uh, created co-ed prisons. Let's the musical, and I was I just I ended up being the drag queen. I was uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Carl Bella, the cross-dressing prison psychiatrist who sang a love song to a dog, and uh, the show ran for eleven years. Oh wow! And they still they still <laughs> dusted off every once in a while. My my young roommate uh, a couple of years ago saw a New Year's Eve production at the Annoyance Theater, and and that was kind of the flagship show that started the Annoyance Theater because uh, Mick would have these shows and kept the the places would close down and, and he'd, he'd lose all his stuff and, and so he wanted his own place. And so I performed with the Annoyance Theater for about five years. I uh, was in the next show, which was called That Darned Antichrist. <laughs> I played... It's uh, a great uh, title. Yeah, and there are a lot of... There are, a lot of, like, there are a lot of shows that we could do in the 80s that we can't do anymore. 
And uh, and then like while I was at, uh, and then we did that turned into Christ. The next show was called Your Butt. We couldn't come up with a title, but we liked the idea of like Your Butt was the feel good event of the summer. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I was taking piano lessons. Well, I was I was supposed to be taking plat- piano lessons, and I but I was drinking and doing drugs, so I never practiced the piano. <laughs> But I would. I was also couldn't get it together to call the piano the person I was taking lessons from, and she was the uh, the musical director for the Second City Training Center, and her name was Laura Wasserman. Uh, but then later, when she got married, it became Laura Hall, and she's the musical director for Whose Line Is It Anyway? And we became friends because I would show up each week, wouldn't pra- You know, we didn't really have any lessons to work on, so we'd chat for half an hour, and I think she charged me twelve bucks. I think that's what it was. <laughs> she still made me pay. And um, we wrote a musical together called Manson the Musical. Uh, it was a musical comedy about Charles Manson. And I love a guy named William Castle, who uh, is the king of the gimmick. He uh, wrote a book called Step Right Up, I'm Going to Scare the Pants Off America. And he used to do things like put buzzers on theater seats in the 50s and, and have things come out of the walls. And, and for Manson the Musical, we gave out little hits of acid. Uh, <laughs> they were the, the tiny chicklets. And also, it was a midnight show at the Annoyance, and it was $6 to get in, 5 if you had an X on your forehead. And uh, so you just look out at the audience, midnight, Chicago, Saturday night, and there were just, just about 100 people with Xs on their foreheads. And then we you know, gave up the little chiclets, and we'd announced that they were all placebos except for one, and that person's <laughs> really going to love the show. And then, uh, and then it was... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, John. I put John Favreau in his first play. John Favreau was in the original cast of Manson the Musical. <laughs> there were, I mean, we were really like Melanie Hutzel, who was went on to do a few seasons of the Saturday Night Live, was in the cast, um, and it, we were really. It was a great time to be in Chicago. Um, Chris Farley I worked with him in Improv Olympic. Uh, uh, Steve Colbert was there. Um, Steve Carell. Uh, Jill Soloway, who just uh, done Transparent and I Love Dick, um, her sister Faith, uh, um, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, Matt Walsh. I lived with Matt Walsh for a, a while during the at, when I was leaving the first ex Mrs. Booker, <laughs> uh, and it was just it was just a great time to be there, and it was it was sort of like um, like I, I think the grunge movement came out of Chicago because there was nobody watching. And since there was nobody watching, they could try things and make mistakes. I think Austin can be the same way. Um, and I think at that time in Chicago, there was, there was nobody really watching, so um, we got to try stuff. There was also an audience that would support it. You right. know, um, the people of Chicago would come and check, check things out. Um, and, uh, and, and the rents were still low enough, and the buildings were old, so the ceilings were higher uh, with the older buildings. And so there were a lot of us that just started theaters. So there were these little gangs just, just doing stuff and popping up. It was, it was a really good time to be in Chicago. And then um, I was in, uh, oh, I also did a show called, that uh, Laura and I created called William Shakespeare, Sid and Nancy, The Tale of Two Star-Crossed Lovers on Heroin, <laughs> which was the story of Romeo and Juliet as told through the eyes of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. And, uh, and, um, then I was in uh, well, I wasn't in the show, but there was a show called the real life Brady bunch, the Soloway sisters did. 
that they we just thought we'd do it for a couple weeks at the Annoyance Theater, and people loved it. It was Brady Bunch episodes done on stage, and uh, and we ended up they ended up taking that show to off Broadway, and Mick Napier was originally Bobby, but he stayed behind too. Um, uh, to run the annoyance and build the annoyance. And I got asked to do Bobby Brady, so I went off Broadway and did Bobby Brady, which was a lot of fun. And Andy Richter was the dad. Jane Lynch was the mom. Um, it was a good time. We did a lot of drugs. <laughs> Sound, uh, sounds awesome. It was great. Wow. Just yeah. like what an incredible soup of comedians i mean just it, yeah, wow it's 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 unbelievable it's yeah it was it was it was just a, a great time and everybody was nice we're all just we're all in it together you know uh chicago at that time and now it's just mushroomed and it's, it's still there but it seemed every october there was just another crop of people and we all just wanted to make people laugh you know and try and do smart work and um yeah so I'm going to back up on you with, okay. the, with the random fact. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> Since, so, I'm sure you're familiar with Brian Bosworth, right? Yes. <laughs> Did you know that actually the Boz, he works out over here at the uh, Lifetime Fitness. Yes. <laughs> off of Mopac. I am, um, well, I, I was I was the mascot while the Boz was at OU, and uh, we once did a, a halftime um, show together. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was in the dog suit, and... Uh, and then a ex-girlfriend, we were together at the time, but her dad uh, works over, works out at Lifetime Fitness. And I told him about, there's a great 30 for 30 in ESPN. Uh, have you seen that? Yeah, actually, that's how I discovered that that was actually Brian Boswell. I had seen the guy like uh-huh. any, you know, a million times. And I was like, holy shit, that's the boss. He was, it was, it was a great documentary, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very well done. And uh, so uh, Bud is uh, Amy Averett's dad's, Damon and I said I told him about Brian Bosworth and his documentary and and uh, so Bud was over at the Lifetime Fitness and uh, and he went up and said I know that Brian Bosworth didn't remember me <laughs> but he pointed out that I would have been in a dog suit so so you know yeah you can't blame him too no much. nope <laughs> yeah I thought that was pretty crazy um so I guess moving on to Let's talk a little bit about your. You've done. You, you've got mm. some credits. Yeah. On the IMDb, I'm I gonna, saw. Yeah. I did. I have a crack research staff. We looked it up. <laughs> Good. A- am I wrong in saying that your first role was on Jury Duty? Um, I think so. That might have been my first movie role. My my entire my entire performance was in the commercial, and which is good because that way my parents didn't have to see. <laughs> uh, what happened was with that was uh, uh, when I got to Los Angeles. Um, what ha- we did a year of the Real Life Brady Bunch in New York, and then we did a, a year in L.A. And then when it went on tour, I stayed in L.A. Uh, and I got sober in 1993. And my first sponsor said that if I was in a play on Friday and Saturday night, I didn't have to go to meetings. And so I formed a theater company. Laura Hall had moved out to L.A. by that time, and so. She and I put together a group of, of people, and we just started doing shows. And one of those shows that we did, not our first one, but one of them that we ended up taking to New York was a stage version uh, called Valley of a of, of film called Valley of the Dolls. And 
Uh, there's a woman named Melissa Christopher whose husband, she played the Sharon Tate role in our stage version, <laughs> and her husband is John Fortenberry, and, uh, and he needed someone to play a role, and she said, why don't you get Tom Booker? So that's, that's how I got cast. That was Genesis, huh? Yep. And I, I went, I remember showing up and, uh, I needed, I was broke. I needed a haircut. And so they, they gave me a haircut and I got, I showed up just before, like just before lunch. They showed up at 11. They broke for lunch. I got a haircut. They broke for lunch and, uh, and I had steak and then <laughs> they shot my shot. It took a, took an hour. You know, I was I was out. I was in like eleven out by two, and I think at the time the SAG scale was uh, the Screen Actors Guild uh, Guild's scale was five hundred fifty dollars. And I remember leaving. and goes, man, I screwed them out of five hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> I got a steak, a haircut, and then I did that. And then my entire performance was in a in the commercial, and you don't get residuals on the commercial. Oh that's, damn! Yeah, I know. So <laughs> then I, I got screwed. Uh, but yeah, that's uh. Um, that's that's kind of the film roles I get. <laughs> I like to say I'm a spirit carrier. My film and TV roles usually are here. Here's the information you need to get from here to there. <laughs> Have a great day. Yeah, uh, I think the first thing, I, actually, I recognized you from uh, the episode of Curb, Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. that you did. Where Again? You were the limo driver. <laughs> Here's what happened with that one. Uh, uh, my friend, uh, Susan Messing, who was in co-ed prison sluts with me and, and also in Blue Velvet at, at Improv Olympic. And, and we did so much. Oh, I got my first uh, professional acting gig through Susan Messing. We used to do children's theater. It was called Imagination Theater. We got $35 a show, and it was my first professional gig. I was so excited. And um, Susan Messing got married um, in New York, but she had a reception in Chicago and another one in L.A. And... Uh, and so when I was at her reception in L.A., I was sitting next to uh, uh, Mar- Marla Garland, Jeff Garland's wife. And I had known Marla forever because Marla was the assistant to my first agent in Chicago. And I'd known Jeff for a long time as well. And um, I know this was on a Sunday morning, cause, and I know on the way home, Marla was like, you need to call Tom Booker in for something. Because the next day I got a call to audition for the uh, the chauffeur, and it was it was it was a strange audition in that um, they there was just a li- little sliver of paper, it's like about about an inch inch and a half, and it just you know said that you're the chauffeur that takes uh, Larry, and I can't remember his wife's name, um, but Larry and his wife to. Um, you know, to a dinner, and he brings out leftovers, just what the scene is. And then I kind of read all the other slivers to kind of get an idea of what's going on. And I went in, and I auditioned with Larry David. And uh, we just improvised together, and it went really well. Uh, But I didn't care if it got the part, because I got to to improvise with Larry David. And it was so much fun. Uh, And I ended up getting the part, but it's, it's, those are the best auditions. And that's one of the reasons I mainly did commercials in Los Angeles, and I had a lot of lot of luck and really enjoyed doing commercials. Is it, and I think that one of the reasons I had so much success is I loved auditioning for commercials, and um, it was such such you know wonderful fun. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, also broke. I was broke. I was broke when it went on, and 
they had to be scheduled for one day. And uh, so they, they had to call it at a certain time because we were shooting at the W Hotel in, in Westwood. And uh, I think at like 11.30, they just couldn't shoot past that. It just had to stop. Probably a Westwood rule or something. Right. And so when they, they called it uh, a, a wrap for the night, uh, I, they hadn't shot my part. And I was, I was so afraid, you know. So, and I walked up to the first, first AD. And I said, um, uh, they didn't shoot my part. What are, what are we going to do? And he looked at me and goes, you get another day. And I, yes. Yes, and I wanted. I need to, that money. I wanted to, yeah, because man, I got paid for another day. Nice. And I just, and I just walked calmly back to my car. But I just wanted to scream because it was like I doubled my rate, I doubled my rate. But how long were you on set that day? Was it like a twelve-hour like, um, full it day? It wasn't a twelve-hour day. It was. It was. I probably got there about five because it had to be night, and uh, and then I just. Uh, you know, I'd been in LA long enough that I, I knew everybody. Also, we most of us were, uh, we kind of had Jeff Garland in common, and so we all knew each other. So I just hung out with my friends and ate craft service. I hung out with a guy <laughs> named Sam Pancake and Nora Dunn, and because uh, there were a bunch of uh, people that played the HBO executives, and so just chatted with them when I wasn't sitting in the limo. So what kind of uh, craft services did HBO spring for? Oh, it's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of the biggest differences in uh, between L.A. and Austin craft services. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but I know it was wonderful. <laughs> I've manned a table or two. Yes. Day. Yeah. It was great. I interned, actually, with... There's a production company in Austin, Elephant Productions. Mm-hmm. And did their intern program one summer, so got to got to do one shoot. It's the only time that I eat Nutella <laughs> because I always have Nutella on a set, and uh, and it's something I'd never buy for myself. But I'll eat yours. <laughs> I was nice. the same way with marijuana. I never bought it, but if we brought yours out, we weren't putting it away. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> Last time I smoked pot was with Andy Dick. When was this? If you, if you, it would have been in '92. Oh no, yeah, it was uh, the uh, last night. Yeah, it was in '92, and um, and Andy Dick had come over to, to my house with with some friends, and uh, and they were they were done smoking pot, and Andy and I were sitting at my kitchen table, and 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 uh, one of them said, "I don't, uh, I don't want to get too high," and Andy turned to me, he goes, "Too high." How do you get too high? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. That's the point of it. And, uh, yep, it's the last time I smoked pot. And it wasn't because it was with Andy Dick or was. There was just like, oh, I seem to have a problem. <laughs> so let's see. Moving onward, mm-hmm. you've still kind of kept working on and off over the years with yeah. a few little small roles here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've actually done more network television since I moved to Austin ten years ago than I did in LA. Are you flying? Are you flying out to LA? No, it's all been doing stuff, stuff here. here. Okay. Yeah, here and in Dallas. Because I know that a lot of the production has kind of dried up here once yeah, other states are offering the the tax cuts. So now I'm doing a lot of stuff for Rooster Teeth, and I, I like to say I'm their go go to old guy, and I love working with Rooster Teeth. Uh, um, 
they're just great. I mean, they, I just a bunch of young, um, enthusiastic, creative, nice, nice people. And I've seen Rooster Teeth grow from 10 people to now 400 or so. And they've been able to maintain just the welcoming spirit. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, so yeah, I'd love to do more Rooster Teeth stuff. They did. They started out with the red versus blue, red versus right? blue. Okay. Yeah, and now they, they have about almost thirty shows. You know, and I, I think they, they work with Full Sail, and I'm not really sure what Full Sail is, but there's just been an infusion of cash. Let's yeah. just say that Full Full Sail, I think, is like actually. It's like a film program or like a is that what it is? institute or some kind of schooling. Oh, because I've known people that have. Is it full sale? Maybe getting it wrong. I think they were with AT and T. Either bought them or huh. gave them. I don't know. I shouldn't talk. I don't know. They've grown. They've grown, but they're still really nice. And I, I'm, it was one of those things. It's sort of like, uh, but I guess you can feel this way wherever you go. Is uh, I'm just grateful to be there. The other day, I did walk out of an audition, though. And I, I wasn't mad. I mean, it, it was just, I was just sitting there, and uh, it was for a, um, it was for an animated feature. And the role that I was originally supposed to read for got cast, which is fine. And then I, and I emailed my agent before the day, morning that I was supposed to go in. I said, I'm assuming they don't need me to go in. And she said, no, go in and read for these roles. And and I went. And I looked. I got the sides of the rolls, and they were they were just teeny tiny, and and it was you know the lines like grr, and uh, I, was, I was just sitting there and I was listening to other people audition, like huh, I don't want to do this, and <laughs> gave them the gave them the the sides back. Said thank you so much, and I'm gonna go. I w- and I wasn't mad. It was just like yeah, I'm old. It's it's been thirty years. You know, and there's certain things, unless I, I want to do it, it's like, there's because there's going to be someone that really wants to do this. Right. And they should hire that person. And then, then I, uh, I had an audition Friday for Zach, which is a regional theater here, um, for a part uh, in the play Singing in the Rain. And I, I didn't even ask if it pays. I think it pays. It wouldn't <laughs> have paid as much as the other one. I'd probably not. But, uh, but I was, it was a, it's the most excited I've been for an audition in a long time, and the most work I put in on audition. And uh, I don't know if it went well. I don't know if I got it. I know it went well, and I know I had fun at the audition. And if there's someone that can do do it better than me, hire them. You know, but uh, that's kind of what I look for. I, and it's more about building the theater, and because that seems to be where my strengths lie right now. That seems to be where I can be more effective. Which is, you know. So was it the, I'm sure Fred Astaire role you were bringing it out. It was the role of, uh, like the 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 there's a vocal vocal coach and also a film director. You know your usual, my usual. Here's the information you need, and I would I would love to do it. I I would have so much fun, but and I, I went in. I did the best I could. And one of the things I used to teach commercial audition workshop until recently, and. What I tell them is leave it at the door because all an audition is is a sales call. You know, uh, there used to be a show called Green Acres, and uh, it was a TV show, and um, there was a character. It's about a uh, a New York couple that moves out to um, 
was it Zsa Zsa Gabor? Yeah, Zsa Zsa. I think it was Zsa Zsa Gabor. Was one, of, the, one of the Gabors. Yeah, one of the Gabor sisters. And uh, and um, and there was a character named Mr. Mister Haney. And there were all these weird characters. And I believe it was Hooterville. Because uh, it was a spinoff of Petticoat Junction. Uh, which was a spinoff of uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Um, there you go. Um, <laughs> but but Mr. Haney, I... I had a horse-drawn carriage with all these pots and pans, and he would show up and sell his wares. And whenever I go to an audition, I just feel like Mr. Haney. You know, this is how I would do that role. If it fits within your vision, great. If not, this you know this is what I got, and you leave it at the door. It's hard to leave it at the door. I mean, it's real easy to talk to yourself on the way home. Um, and I I did it on Friday. I spoke to myself like oh. But I don't know if I got it or not. But I had a good time. I did the best I could. Hey, that's yep. all you can do. That's right? all you can do. Have you ever done? I'm sure this is kind of this has got to be a yes. But have uh, you ever? What about stand up? You've done some mm-hmm. stand up yes. in your time, or I've, I've done stand up, but I love doing stand up. Um, it takes work. I I took a stand up class uh, a few years ago at uh, I want to say Studio H. Is that it? It's down in Oak Oak not Oak Park. Uh, What's south of here? Oak, Oak Hill. Oak Hill. Oak Hill. And, um, and I loved it. I loved the, cl- loved the class, but I would sit in my car t- uh, 10 minutes when I got there to get the courage to go in. <laughs> but I love doing stand-up. Just, it takes a lot of prep. Like a good stand-up routine is a well-written one-act play and that you have to deliver like you're coming up with it off the top of your head. Uh, but what? Uh, and I did some stuff, and I opened at... Uh, the Velveeta Room and hosted some at the Velveeta Room. Uh, and uh, what I didn't like, and this was, this may be true just for the Velveeta Room, I didn't like that there were people sitting there that didn't want to be there. You know, they, right, they yeah. you know, it's just like, well, why are you here? It's a rough room. It is a rough room because it's a lot of people who come down to 6th Street to come down to 6th Street. And it's, it's a safe place to go on 6th Street and that you know what you're supposed to do. But people don't want to be there. And I was like, well, if I want to continue this, why, I have a theater. Why don't I just write a one-person show? Well, stand-up act. You call it a one-person show, and people buy tickets. And those are the people that want to be there. I haven't done that, but that's that's that was my thinking. Although I am in the midst of writing a one-person show for a, uh, an, uh, a fringe festival in Indianapolis in August called the Indie Fringe. And I... Uh, the title of my show is called um, uh, An Improvised Life, Confessions of an Improv Guru. Although that may change to a one-person show where I play Ivanka Trump. <laughs> so, and the way I would play it is I would just wear a tight dress, put on a Ivanka Trump wig, and keep the beard, and just say I'm Ivanka Trump. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I think I may make it a section of the show. That's pretty funny i saw a video actually earlier on i forget things on twitter or something mm-hmm. and like they're walking down the red carpet and donald trump you know puts his hand over to her and she slaps it out of the way I'm oh like, really oh. <laughs> oh now i have um i've done a commercial with melania trump <laughs> when was this 2005 2005 okay. i did right after they got married I'm in an Affleck commercial. If you, if you go on YouTube and put Melania Trump Affleck commercial, 
Um, so yes, I've, I've worked with the first lady. Uh, it was basically what it was, was, uh, Frankenstein and Igor, uh, Frankenstein is the Dr. Frankenstein is going to put, uh, the, uh, brain of this duck into this beautiful woman. And because no one knew who she was, at the time, they were just married. Right. So, uh, I have a line that said, Mrs. Trump. And, uh, but she was very nice. We didn't, we didn't talk a lot, but, uh, she, she was, she was nice in 2000. She's probably nice now, but in 2005, she was nice. I think I, I can definitely remember this commercial actually, mm -hmm. now that you mention it. Um, <laughs> what do you think about, man, I feel like he's even a hard guy comedy wise. Like, where do you go? I think he's we need kind to of like push the <laughs> envelope farther than even comedians yeah. have gone. Well, so. The great thing about comedy and Trump is one, in order for comedy to be effective and uh, identified, it has to be based in some forth, form of truth. And, uh, and so, and he, like, I love when Alec Baldwin plays Trump on SNL. I love when, when Melissa McCarthy plays Sean Spicer because it pisses them off. <laughs> and, and that's our way to fight. And, um, and it's, it's based in truth. You know, and it might be, uh, it might be, uh, um, shoot, uh, heightened a bit. But uh, and then also people are laughing and he can't stand that. So that's our way to fight. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, you know, because I think there's a lot of the emperor has no clothes and it's it's nice to be the jester. Oh, I agree. You know, I love checking out uh, Stephen Colbert's monologue every every morning since I go to bed at ten now. <laughs> no. But it's just and it's it's just so much fun to. to I, his writers are brilliant, and he's a brilliant performer, and, and um, it's great. And also, um, Seth Meyers, A Closer Look, really good, really good stuff. What else are you into these days as far as shows? Do you get into any of the like big prestige shows like Game of Thrones and that, oh, that yes. sort of stuff? Uh, what about you? I love Game of Thrones. Oh, I was like obsessed with Game of Thrones mm -hmm. until fairly recently. But the problem for me is like, so uh, have you ever heard of Reddit? Yes. Website. So I get on Reddit and uh, <laughs> they have like this, there's like all these nerds that are like focused on the book content and there's like the book content and the show content. And these guys like are going through, they would basically figure out the entire plot line of the upcoming season. Really? Yes. Before it ever even airs. Wow. Based on like the trailers and production photos it's insanity. So I like ruined the last like three seasons of the show because I knew exactly like the big plot points going into it. Oh really? But I couldn't help myself. It was like I I have to know. It's like <laughs> I got into it so heavily. Uh yeah, I like Game of Thrones. I like a big girls fan. In fact, when I went to a couple of years ago, when I went to Brooklyn, uh, because when I lived in New York, you didn't go to Brooklyn, um, or I didn't go to Brooklyn. I went wanted to go to Grumpy's Coffee Shop because it was on girls. Um, I also just, uh, watched, uh, Silicon Valley this morning when I should have been working. Uh, what else do I like? Uh, transparent. Um, right now I'm, I'm into, uh, I love Dick, the, uh, latest Jill Soloway thing on Amazon. Um, I should stop watching Scandal, but I can't, <laughs> I, I don't know why it's, it's yeah. Uh, there's a guy that's very funny. 
uh, Josh Molina, who plays the, uh, um, oh shoot, the Attorney General. Uh, he's in. He's in my. Was it, I did a film in 1999, and he was in it. And it's fun to watch him because he's still as funny as he ever was. He used to. Uh, it had it starred Josh Molina and Luke, Luke Wilson. And whenever they would call, we get ready to shoot, and they'd call talent to the set. Josh would always turn and say, "Can Luke come?" <laughs> <laughs> or Luke, uh, Luke seemed to have a hard time memorizing his lines, and so, uh, like, they would be. So he read his character read comic books, so was, they they do uh, sort of quarter page versions of the lines, you know, sides, and then you just hear Josh go. Luke, use the sides, Luke. <laughs> nice. And Luke would just laugh. Luke was such a nice guy. Have you checked out Veep? I've not, you and should. I need to because Matt's on it. Matt Walsh. Um, I bet I would love it. I've not. Well, I'm kind of overwhelmed in right. that. I'm so far behind. I've been yeah. like, I've not watched one episode, but I'm a huge Julie, uh, Julie Louis Louis Dreyfus fan. I mean, she's great. She is. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to check it out. The writing is top notch. I oh. mean, some of the best comedic writing. And they've got such great performers on it. So I, I will check it out. She's great. She looks better than she did when she was on Seinfeld. She's hot, to be honest. I mean, she's like fifty something. I've reached and just a certain, smoking. I I knew I reached a certain age when I uh, I saw went and saw Vacation, um, National Lampoon's Vacation on the at at the Alamo, and uh, when I. W- realized how much more attracted I was to Beverly D'Angelo than Christy Brinkley. Like, ah, I'm a, you've arrived. I'm a man of a certain You're age. Ma- you've matured finally yes. after yeah. all this time. Like, oh, what? <laughs> Forget about her in the car. Look at look at in your passenger seat, Chevy. <laughs> oh man. What are we gonna talk about now? I don't know. What What do you got? What do you got? I don't know. You had a material already. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my main worries is I didn't know if we were supposed to. It was supposed to be more of a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That's, are, that's what I'm going for. I'm are, actually. Do are you, we having? Because I feel like I'm just talking it all. Well, that's kind of the idea. Okay. You're the talent here. I'm just. Gonna, I, I'm, I'm just, just gonna no, like. I don't know if I'm talent. The, the nuggets. Of, I'm just the older guy. Here. <laughs> that's what I am. <laughs> do you do you listen to many podcasts? I do. I listen to. Uh, uh, a lot of them I listen to Crime Town. I listen to a lot of uh, like entrepreneur podcasts. There's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay, who, yeah, I'm familiar. I really like his stuff. Um, uh, uh, how I built this. A lot of whatever comes from Gimlet Media. I really enjoy. Well, not everything, but but I enjoy, first was Startup, which was great, and uh, Reply All. I like that. Of course, This American Life. Um, so yeah, I do it's it podcast. It's great. Um, because I can listen while I'm cleaning, yeah, cleaning exactly. the theater. And, you know, so. Kind of that stuff. Yeah. What do you listen to? I, I'm actually, I'm a total novice with podcasts. I just, not long before I started this, I got in, I started listening to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. I've, I've heard that that's really good. Now it's is really it, good. is it just Joe Rogan and someone else getting, getting high? <laughs> is that it? it? It can be that. Oh, it definitely can. Um, it's really funny. He actually had Alex Jones on. Oh, really? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and they're like they're sipping bourbon, and he got Alex Jones stoned. <laughs> wow. But are they like two hours long? Yeah, they're pretty long forms. You know, anywhere from like an hour and a half to three hours. It just kind of depends, I guess, on how much time they have. 
I was listening. I also used to listen to Mark Maron's podcast, and I really loved it. But it was two a week, and they were like two hours, and it was just just got overwhelming. Yeah, I, I really like the format that Joe uses. He, you know, he gets an expert on whatever field and mm-hmm. lets them riff. It's great, and cool. he's, you know, he's a little bit countercultural as well. So I that like, kind of plays in. I, he always impresses me uh, on the UFC. Um, Joe Rogan, he knows his stuff. He definitely does. He's really good. I, he's got his for his format. He's got it down so perfectly, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what inspired kind of this format that that I'm trying to go for. Uh-huh. Is that more just like let's get a you know let's do things off the cuff and see where the conversation takes us. How much editing does this require? Very little, to be honest. Oh, um, good. I think my very first one that I did, I really just kind of played with some of the EQ settings. Mm-hmm. And things like that, but in terms of the content, it was pretty much just cutting off some stuff at the end and beginning. I want to do a vlog, but I don't want to spend two to four hours each day editing. I mean, I would like to do, it. and so I occasionally will do. And I, I, I got that off uh, um, Tim Ferriss's podcast. I enjoy, and you can tell what he's interested in by the types of this um, of people that he has on or what they're in, and you could tell he was wanting to do a daily vlog or toying with the idea. So he had a lot of YouTubers on and it was great. And, but he tried an experiment for 30 days, which was just, um, Facebook live. And, uh, and so that I've been do I'll do that on occasion. I'll do what happened was a couple of years ago, I went through a breakup and I was, I was, uh, uh feeling sorry for myself. And I thought, I don't have anybody to say good night. I love you too. And so, uh, well, I'll say it to Facebook. And so I just started putting, good night, I love you. And then I started each morning, good morning, I love you. And then after I felt better, I thought, okay, well, it's, it's time to stop. And someone would come up to me every time I had that thought. And it means so much to me. And All right. And then I just started doing the good morning, I love you shows. And it's just when I feel like it. I almost did, did one from the truck this morning. <laughs> but uh, And I found that it was just a couple minutes of me just yammering I mean, right. it's nothing but i found that it puts me in the best mood when i do a good morning live a show like i don't care who's watching just it makes me i guess what it does is i say things to people that i need to hear myself and also i present sometimes and not sometimes i put on this thing uh, that there's you know there's a tom booker character there's the private me and then there's hey what's up yeah and I think maybe some mornings I need the, hey, what's up, everybody? Look how happy I am, just to get me started, I guess. Um, yeah, my, my old roommate pointed out, and, and Janet, my girlfriend, said, you know, there's this, this character that you do. I don't think it's very different, but it's, you know, there's, <laughs> they, they notice that when people pop up, I pop up. That's cool. I kind of wondered what the genesis was of that because I definitely, you know, I see you post those yeah. every day. That's yeah, and it's just just the way I start my day. And also, uh, especially good morning, all of you. My mom will, you know, love it, and so that's it's nice. And uh, uh, and one other thing that I did when I was feeling sorry for myself that I haven't done in a while, but I highly recommend to anyone if you're feeling sorry for yourself, um, post on Facebook. You know, or uh, or Instagram, the first five people that comment on this post, I will call you and tell you that I love you. And um, and I, I did that. I was just feeling sorry for myself. Well, I'm gonna say I love you too. And and, uh, and then as I was um, 
clicking on posts. I was like, well, I can call my mom, tell her. So I called my mom. And then the first time I did it, about 20 people responded, and I called each of them. And it was great. It just really helps get you out of yourself. And one of the guys that I called was a guy that was in my very first improv class in August of 1986. Um, and we had we were Facebook friends, but we hadn't spoken in about 20 years. And we, you know, had a nice 10 minute conversation. And it was it was I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about <laughs> it now. Um, uh, and, and the great thing about, you know, uh, my improv class, I'll talk about get out of your head, get into your heart. And like, we'll be doing exercises. And if you smile while doing the exercise, it gets you out of your head and into your heart and you connect more with other people. And the great thing about that is you don't even have to mean the smile and you'll feel better. And the thing about the, uh, like, good morning, I love you, or the exercise where the first five people that I'll call and tell you, you don't even have to mean it. You just have to say it, you know, but it gets you, actually, I think it opens that channel in which you connect and you listen and it's hard to connect, legitimately connect with someone and think about yourself. And the other, yeah. All right. And also, like in the, your scene partner, I hate when I sound like a hippie acting teacher, <laughs> but your scene partner is your inspiration at ETM. And that's where, that's, that's where your inspiration comes from, your reaction, even if they're not doing anything. Based on what's inside you, you'll, you'll have some sort of reaction. And if, and if you're focused or in the moment, um, uh, you're without fear. Well, nice. So, I'd actually been considering d taping these and putting them up on YouTube as well. But like you're saying, it's like, do I want to commit to that extra two to three hours? If that, well, I probably. What would you have to edit? I mean, very little. But it's just like I have old record, or my camera's older, so I have to get the tapes, mm -hmm. and you've got to capture in real time. So mm -hmm. it's got to play through the actual footage to get digitized alone so you know depending on how long the video is you know it's doing that in real time and then just editing and uploading it to youtube i mean it's pretty hands-off yeah but still it's like you know it's a commitment versus like the audio only is really you know it's pretty simple i saw a 10 there, minutes maybe there was a podcast called the this is your life podcast by a guy named michael hyatt who was a sort of a productivity guy it was one of the early pod early business podcasts i listened to and um one season, they will videotape theirs as well. And what was weird is when I watched the video, the audio was the audio from like this instead of the camera. Right. And so it just was weird. Yeah, was, that's was, how I'd have to do it too. So, yeah. It just seemed overdubbed. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely, it's hard to get it to fit exactly and I'd need a, probably additional equipment to record, you know, a breakout from my camera because it's not like a professional level camera. So. Keep it for keep it simple now. You're doing this. This is great. It's a lot of fun. Have you thought about doing your own like dedicated podcast? I I don't know what I'd have to talk about. You know, I I well, I've been wanting to do to put together a blog and just to even you know even though I know blogs are are somewhat dated but just to get stuff out there and just also I guess kind of as a journal but just also to force me to write a few times a week um, so yeah and that for that I have an improvisedlife.com so uh, in fact that's on my list of things to do this week is to get that blog together get it going huh yep I kind of like I, 
I really feel like my Twitter is kind of where I just kind of scratch that itch of these random ideas. Trump and... has gotten me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, yeah. prob- I'm probably on the watch list now because I will go on just tirade sometimes. Yeah, it's really weird on Twitter. I, I, I guess I call the bu- all Republicans fucking idiots. <laughs> and I'm like, I, who is this person? But it needed to be said. Yeah. For me, Twitter is like my... It's like my refuse pile for all the shit that I want to say <laughs> that is too divisive to put on my Facebook or I just like I've got to get it out there. And what's so intimidating is there are so many funny people on Twitter that do it so well. And I'm not one of those people. <laughs> it's, it's just like, oh, I can't. But it's it's great. And I've, I have learned it. I'm like, I'm like someone's mom who's on Twitter because I get very excited. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, I can, I can talk to you? It's this... How does this work? And through, I get a, um, through Rooster Teeth, I, I get a, a lot of young fans that, um, and I just ask them for advice. <laughs> like, all right. Because I remember the first time I had some sort of conversation, like, is this just between you and me or can the world see this? The world can see it. Okay, cool. <laughs> now I know. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also, my Twitter handle is at the Tom Booker, but I think I own at Tom Booker. But my friend set it up for me, and I can't remember the email address or the, <laughs> the password. So, of course. Yeah. So I need to figure that out. But we're good. Do you do much reading? Um. Yeah, yes. I may, and mainly nonfiction. Uh, a, a lot of business books. Um, a lot of I'm list, and a lot of listening to. Um, yeah, I love. Uh, I am. I subscribe to Audible.com. It's a and you pay a monthly fee and you get a slightly reduced rate. Um, but I love memoirs read celebrity memoirs memoirs read by the people who wrote them, like Kevin Smith's memoir, and uh, or a Gary Vaynerchuk book. I love when they're reading and then they'll just break away from it. And you're like, okay, wait, let, let me tell you really what happened. <laughs> I I love that. Uh, now I'm listening to Shonda Rhimes' uh, Year of Yes, which is okay. She's, she's a lovely person. Uh, what about you? What do you read? Uh, well, I, I like to read a lot of fiction. Um, what kind of stuff? I mean, like the stuff you would read in like a college class, so like literary fiction. Uh-huh. So like Cormac McCarthy and oh. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I've actually, honestly, the last book I read was Kurt Vonnegut's Sirens of Titan. I've never read any Kurt Vonnegut, but I'm told that I would love it. Oh, man, it's great. I would definitely recommend check out Breakfast of Champions. Okay. That's my favorite one of his books and probably one of my a top ten favorite of all time. I love the film Slaughterhouse-Five. And I also love Rachel Bloom's video for Fuck You. Uh, is it? No. Fuck me. <laughs> It's not Kurt Vonnegut. It's Ray Bradbury. Sorry, Kurt Vonnegut and Rachel Bloom, but yeah. But she compares him. Kurt should Google it. Okay, will do. I love Rachel Bloom. That's another uh, good show, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I like that show. You probably... Uh, so back to Breakfast of Champions. So yes. it's like it's written in the style of like a children's book, uh-huh. kind of. But it's like heavy, heavy satire. And he's got some crude illustrations in it. I remember seeing it in college. I remember a beaver and a beaver. Yes, exactly. That's the one. So it's pretty funny. Um, 
it actually inspired. So he draws a picture of an asshole, and it's this kind of like an really crudely drawn asterisk. Uh-huh. So that kind of like spawned this whole bit for me amongst my friends. It's like I I call it we're we're living in the time of the culo. The culo and the the, the culo. The ass. The uh-huh. era of the asshole. And I think really with Trump, it's like that's that's where yeah. I mean, it's it's now fashionable to be an asshole, right? It's crazy. It's <laughs> crazy. It's been kind of quiet with him being gone. Yeah, I know, because they're not allowing reporters in the room. I know. I'm, I'm checking. Like, really, you're going to the Middle East and you're shutting out the press corps. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. what? What good could come from this? You know what I mean? But I've actually... Trump! <laughs> you bastard. I've actually been reading primarily comic books as of late. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was into them as a kid, and I think like once I hit puberty, it's like mm-hmm. I lost... I, it's like my focus was on girls only. Uh-huh. So I went like 20 years without picking up a comic book, and then I just kind of randomly got back into it recently, and I've, I've been reading those things. Like, what are you reading? That's pretty much all I've been reading lately. Oh, man. Um... I've read a lot of Alan Moore's stuff, uh-huh. uh, his run on Swamp Thing. Uh, he wrote From Hell. Okay. Uh, what else? V for Vendetta, Watchmen, all that stuff has been great. He's got a new series out called Providence that's kind of like an X-Files-y feel to it, but uh-huh. it's based in the kind of the uh, Lovecraft mytho- mythos. I was going to try and take an afternoon today just go to, or this week and go to the coffee shop I have a number of comic books that are, one is, uh, it's a set of comic books from the 90s uh, called Beautiful Stories for Ugly Children, <laughs> and I was just going to, you know, grab a cup of coffee and reread them, and uh, another uh, was, is, uh, Del Close um, wrote some comic books in the late 80s, when I, when I was, I, I was a student of his at the time. And I never read them at the time, and I, I stumbled upon a bunch of them, not all of them, but a bunch of them uh, at Austin Books and Comics. Okay. And I bought them, and I, I've only read one so far. And it was it was great because it just took me back to his class. And, you know, and, and it, was, it was weird because some of the stuff that he predicted in 1988 was true, became true. And so I just want to just kind of, Take a, a day or half a day and just read each one. Catch it. Catch up with Dell. You know what you should, you should check out is Preacher. Preacher. Actually, AMC has done a show. The second season's about about to launch or premiere here in about a month. Is it called Preacher? This it's called show? it's called Preacher. And so it's basically this guy who is from. He's like a it's like set in West Texas. He's a preacher. Uh huh. And it's but it's super. You know, it's irreverent. It's <laughs> blasphemous. I'll have to check it out. But I think it'd be right up your It's pretty like walks a really interesting line between drama and absurd comedy and just it's great. And it's on AMC? Yeah. Okay. But there's a whole series of comic books as well. I'll check it out. That are really well done. It's like went on during the nineties. But yeah, it's like there's this whole trove of stuff that stretches back to the eighties that's really well done in the medium and there's all these like bizarro premises and just have you a watched, lot of really cool stuff. Have you watched Riverdale? Which Riverdale. I think is a dark retelling of Archie and I've not watched it. Is that, is Paul Reiser in that? 
I don't know. I think that that's like on Amazon or Netflix. Is I, that one of? I don't know. Paul, I, I didn't know Paul Reiser was on something. Yeah. I think Paul Reiser is great. So, not a dig on Paul Reiser. Paul, if you're listening, I think. <laughs> I think so. My roommate. and I had a huge hunt, a huge hunt, huge crush on Helen Hunt back in the nineties. I'd have one now, <laughs> maybe even more so. My roommate was watching that. I don't get. It. I'm kind of a snob when it comes to this stuff. It's oh. like if it's not HBO, it's like all. It's hard for me to get into it. Oh really? I've like been stepping outside of that. Yeah, I'm just like super, super snobby when it comes to pr- the production value. I wish I had a trust fund so I could just binge watch. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be nice? Binge watching is so great. It is. It's funny. My brother, so my brother has been watching, like he hasn't seen any stuff. Like he's been in a situation where he hasn't been able to be exposed to a lot of cable TV in his life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he's got like hundreds and hundreds of hours of content that he's just... <laughs> sitting out there and I've been like, Oh dude, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. And he's like plowing through them and keeping me up to date. Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I'm finishing up season five of the Americans, which I really, really like. I've seen Carrie Russell's butt so much. I think we're dating. <laughs> like where was that butt in the nineties? I haven't gotten into that yet, but I I've, think it's, it feels really topical. It's yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was, and it is, and it's, it's just so well done. It's just, it's really good. Um, yeah, I was, I was surprised. I don't even know how I, why I started. I think Janet started watching it, and then, so then. But uh, it's real easy to fall down the American's rabbit hole, and um, it, I, I wish I could binge watch without guilt, or maybe schedule it. I don't know. But there's, there's so much. Seriously, it's sort of like podcasts. It's, right. it's just there's so much you want to. Um, want to listen to so much great stuff. I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing, I think, about the internet and technology. It's just allowed... It's taken away the gatekeepers. And um, and it's just... it's In a way, it's like jazz, and that people are doing doing something and working together, and, and this stuff is coming out. And it's it's... The stuff that's coming out is not for everybody, but art for everybody sounds really boring. You know, it's it's just uh, it's great to be able to find your your tribe. Oh, I way. agree. You know, it's Although wonderful. It's, it seems like now it's like things are so niche, mm-hmm. and it's not just in terms of entertainment. It's like you know, people's version of reality is now become niche. So. I think it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, it's cool that, you know, we can kind of riff on these commonalities, but it's like you're losing that kind of mass culture yeah. and connection because everybody was watching those same three news channels and all the same TV shows. Yeah, cultural references are a lot of hard, hard, yeah, hard exactly to right. was, was, uh Like the uh, Carol Burnett show used to do whole sketches, which were just basically slogans from commercials because everybody knew the commercial because there was only one place to... Uh, you know what medium to go to. Um, you're right. There's there's a conversation. Also, I think it it this segmentation adds to the us versus them mentality. You know, yeah, you're right. So yeah, and I can actually I studied this sort of in in, in grad school um, with a focus on at the at the time what we referred to as new media, mm-hmm. but that would be you know kind of an umbrella for like blogging and podcasts or xyz mm-hmm. 
So it's interesting to see it play out, and it didn't quite take the path that I that I thought. I like that. Uh, what did you think was going to happen? I thought it'd be a lot more of a positive force, uh, particularly in the political realm, mm. um, being able to mobilize and communicate like the, at the grassroots level in a way that, you know, it was in, you know, it's a lot harder to do without, you know, now we can connect with anyone all across the globe at any time. Mm-hmm. And so it, so it's great that it has that reach, but now it's like, there's too much noise. Now there's yeah. so much noise. It's like, how do you determine truth and that i think that plays a role in like trump can kind of skirt on this like you know because there he's got people that are just like oh they love everything he's doing mm-hmm. and you've got this other group of people that are like you know when is he going to get impeached so it's like these two separate realities that we're living in as americans and it's just odd to how do we go back how do we unify and he can manipulate the noise you or you can manipulate the attention by fake news and that right. sort of thing so yeah, there's so much out there, and you don't know what's true or who to believe. And I mean, going back to, you know, it's my perspective is this is like the New York Times, you know, they were kind of beating the drum whenever we were going to war with Iraq and all that mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s. So it's like, even my from my standpoint, I'm, you know, I'm pretty left wing. Can I really trust the New York Times? You know, how, how do we know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, there was a, um, when, uh, Obama was running against Mitt Romney, at one point Facebook said, I had 272 friends that liked Mitt Romney. And I was like, that can't be true. Right. And, um, and I checked and it was all my friends. I went to high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was all my friends from Tulsa, from high school who never left. And, uh. (laughs) And then there's one high school friend who uh, who has left. I think he lives in Phoenix now. And every once in a while, he'll put some sort of right-wing rant on. And, uh, and I usually just sort of ask him a question. And uh, the other day, there was something, and he, oh, I, wanted, I posted that I really would like to see Jared Kurt, uh, Kushner go to jail. And I don't know if he's done anything wrong. I just really would like <laughs> to see him go to jail because he just seems like a rich douchebag to me. Um, I just think it would be funny. Uh, but uh, And meet a singing transvestite while he's there. <laughs> sure. I'm just, 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 I just want to see a perp walk. And, uh, but my, my high school buddy uh, posted, said, all of you snowflakes and, and something. And I, just, but do you think I'm a snowflake? <laughs> you know, I just asked a question like, all right, well, why do you think I'm a snowflake? And he never answered. But I, I found that the what really throws people, uh, and, you know, when they're, when they're jumping on, on, when you just ask them a question, you know, like, why? Why do you feel? It, it stops them. And like, then they'll, they'll want to fight. I will just and and uh, and I found that if I just read, I don't even have to read all of it. I'll find the first thing I can ask a question about. I'll ask a question, and it causes them to slow down and take a breath. And uh, but yeah, it's just so easy just to uh, you know my initial impulse too when you call 
snowflake. Like, well, it's better a snowflake than a Nazi. But I didn't type that out. Uh, say, well, I don't think David's a Nazi. <laughs> it might be a little crazy, but I don't know. So, oops, I said his name. <laughs> I don't think he's going to listen. It's kind of funny. So what actually was the, the inspiration for the starting the podcast is I've got a friend that I grew up with. I've known him for probably almost 30 years. Uh, grew up in the same town, you know, probably born in the same hospital. Uh-huh. And like, we're like almost identical in experience and whatnot. But he's super conservative. He was like instrumental in the Tea Party movement and uh-huh. XYZ. So he's got like legitimate bona fides in that realm. And so I, I wanted to have a show where just the two of us would sit down and kind of hash it out and, you know, figure out, can we come to a consensus? Let's, let's have a rational conversation and, and have a platform. That for sounds each great. Other. So I'm actually looking forward to having, hopefully he'll be on next week. Is he, is he local? Yeah. Yeah. He oh. lives, he lives out in Lakeway. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just so easy to just call people names and, uh, and take sides. Uh, and, I, it's just uh, everything. It all comes from fear. I was very surprised the night of the election. Oh yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I, to to be honest, I wasn't even going to vote this year. Oh really? <laughs> I wasn't because it's kind of since two thousand eight, I just I used to be super into politics. I would keep up with everything. I watched all the shows. I read constantly, and it just got to the point where, you know, it was just I was pissed off all the time. Mm-hmm. I was depressed and angry and just like. I had to stop because it's like it was weighing too much on me. It's like I can't can't deal. <laughs> it's too much. And now uh with Trump it's like I went I went to have brunch with some friends one Sunday mm-hmm. and they're kind of talking about, you know, they would vote for Trump and I'm kind of like, "What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Was this, this is, before the election? This was before the election. So yeah. it's like this is I was like this is worse than I thought. I was, I've got to vote. I was surprised. Yeah, I really was surprised. Um, what was that? There was something brilliant I was going to say, and I can't think of it now. I'm sure it was going to just—it was going to boost your listenership. Um, what was it? Oh, I can't remember. No, oh, well, you know, it's a bizarre time, Tom. It really is. It is. It's just—it's—it's. It's, it can be scary. Um. One of the things that I learned from one of my podcasts, and when things aren't going the way you thought they would, just ask yourself, what does this make possible? You know, it's it was just, I think there were just a lot of people out there that couldn't stand the idea of a woman being president. Yeah. I mean, I think, ew, I kind of held my nose when I voted for Hillary, to uh-huh. be honest, because not a fan. I'm a, I was more of a, a Bernie guy. Uh-huh. And of course now they'll call you like they'll call you a Bernie bro or like a brochialist. A brochialist. Yeah, that's what I'd they like kind of refer to that. Yeah. And it's like it's no, it's not that I'm not a fr- I would like if anything I I absolutely rather have her just because for the fact of like it'd be nice to have a woman president. Mm-hmm. That's a great that's a great feel good thing we can all I thought it can would all be share in, but in terms of politics yeah. it's like eh I don't know. I thought it would be interesting to see. I think that women and men come from, come at problems differently. Oh, absolutely. And I, I thought, I think it would be, would have been interesting to see 
what it would be like if the heads of Germany, England, and America were all women. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. You know, and and what brought that to my mind is, um, uh, the Prime Minister of England was was visiting the is it Prime Minister of Germany. I don't want to look too stupid, but uh, uh, Merkel, Angela Merkel, and uh, she stumbled on something, and they smiled. It was in an article I was reading that they smiled at each other. I'm like, oh yeah, I I just think that uh, that men are just so quick to fight. Or I think women are quicker to understand. Right. That I wonder what that would have done. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out at Someday. some point, right? Yeah. It's just like maybe maybe Elizabeth Warren or somebody like that will maybe. get a nomination in the future. You know, or Katy Perry. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of the track we're on these days. So yes. I wouldn't be surprised. The Rock. Yeah. Ka- Kanye said he was going to run in 2020. I don't think Schwarzenegger would do a bad job. He can't run. He can't run. But uh, I and I've just listened to a podcast that he seemed like when he was running California, it was a lot like let's get this on track. Uh, you know, that's that's what needs to happen. Is there's, there's oh, just what's best for the country. You know what's interesting about Arnie is so he starts out in entertainment, mm-hmm. becomes a politician. Now he's back to entertainment. Yeah. What a weird, it's, I've actually been more convinced lately that we're living in a simulation. Like we're living in a simulated universe and they're just fucking with us with all this stuff. I don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible to deny that this country is, is run by rich white guys. Yeah. Especially when you see photos from the white house or just, you know, the celebration after they, well, they didn't, repeal but took the first step to repeal Obamacare. We'll see what happens, but just it's like an old man party. Right. Rex Tillerson, have you heard he he talks very deeply. No. Like the CEO of Exxon is the Secretary of State. I mean that how much more blatantly crass and you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like really they're not even pretending at this point. It's like at least there was at one point a pretense. Yes. The, like we're gonna maintain. Like you can have his least. son do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess Cheney was oh. ran uh, Halliburton, so maybe he laid the <laughs> the maybe. groundworks for this. But he's the devil. I mean, come on. It's like I thought we were draining the swamp, and now you exactly <laughs> we have like the worst cobble but, of like neoconservative, like the old neocon playbook. Like they even dug up Roger Stone. And there are people who are. I just wonder if the people who voted for Trump, if they're sitting there going, "Oh, wow." I don't know. I don't. I mean, obviously, there's probably a contingent, but I think there's so many people. Like, it's gotten so bad, the division and the experience. The coal mining jobs country. aren't coming back. <laughs> Clean coal, man. Clean coal. <laughs> there's no such thing. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry they're not coming back. Right. I'm really sorry that it's that that industries, you know, commercials aren't what they were in the '90s. <laughs> right. Blockbuster jobs aren't coming back. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom. Yeah. We're. I think we're we're running out of steam here. So yeah. I wanted. To, I'll just check. Do you have one final, maybe a good Hollywood story, like a, like a true Hollywood story? Ooh. True. Aside, I mean, the Andy Dick one. That would have been a perfect. Way to, way to end it, but do you have anything close? 
the last time I did cocaine, I French kissed Andy Richter. <laughs> well, actually, Andy kissed me. Uh, what happened was the it was the closing night of the Real Life Brady Bunch in L.A. and um, Andy's now wife, then girlfriend, was going around just grabbing people's penises. Just kind of, we, we were a weird bunch. When we were young, and uh, and I said, oh, that's weird that uh, uh, that you know your Andy's girlfriend, you're, you're grabbing a penis. I mean, over the pants. It wasn't like you know, and uh, and. And then Andy just grabbed me and, and French kissed me. So then I let her grab my penis. <laughs> How's that? That'll work. That's okay. a, that is a perfect way to close the show. Well, I really appreciate you coming out today, Tom. Well, thank you for asking me. It was been a wonderful day. W- would you be open to coming back again? Whatever you in need. The future? Absolutely. I know where it is now. Perfect. Yep. Well, let's uh, let's partner up. All right. Let's for do sure. Because I'll, I'll let you definitely know. definitely about some sketch work. I'm serious because I I really do feel like the the experience that you have mm-hmm. the notes that you give like i really think i mean there's definitely there's talent there every all the tools are there okay so just just think about that Let's i mean that. i know you're like you know you're more into the kind of just running the theater and whatnot but well, I'm just an idea down. I'm <laughs> i need i'm ready i'm looking to make a change i mean that's why I stopped the commercial audition right. workshop. It was just like, let's see what's next. And that's kind of how I am with the theater. It's just, it's it's not fun. for. It's available if anybody wants to use it. But um, I'm ready to see what's next. So, right. yeah. Okay. Yep. All, All right. right. Hey, everybody, I love you. Have a great day. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.